So, uh, hi, Guna. Uh, welcome to EHX FM. And uh, what I would like to know, of course, um, what was your first computer and how you started programming? Oh, wow. Hi, Adam. Um, thank you so much for having me. So that's an interesting question. It's a long time ago. Um, so I grew up in Eastern Germany, and I don't remember the exact brand, but it was something where we had your data on like a cassette, right? And you would have mm -hmm. to load it and it would make weird noises. Um, we played Tetris on this, so that's the stuff I remember. But it's really like long, long time ago. Oh, was it uh, an Eastern computer? Yes, I, I, I think so. Um, maybe it's some sort of, um, you know, copy of a Western make, but I, I'm not sure. It was connected to a TV, so it was all very basic um, or very, you know, um, rudimentary. But we had some fun and we learned lots of interesting things. Actually, uh, I was uh, in the University of Dresden, and this was in the year oh, wow. 2001 or something like this one okay. time. And uh, it was before the 9-11, or uh, this was right... And and funny enough, at the university, they, mm -hmm. they did some research, no kidding, with WebLogic and Java and something like this. So they did some. Okay. And uh, I had a talk with the prof, and he told me that back then they reverse engineered Western computers and right. they created slices of the CPU to find out how it works. And the yeah. and they replicated uh, parts of that uh, in building an Eastern computer. And I also Absolutely. forgot the name, so this would be actually interesting. You know what was the, <laughs> what was the name of your machine? So right, yeah, maybe I can find uh, find out for another time. <laughs> cool. And what was your first Hello World? Oh, uh, so the one thing I remember, I I had the book which I actually still have about uh, Pascal, and this was really how I got into programming. So I. Um, but you know, copy programs from this book, typing stuff. And the one thing I remember was um, there was a screensaver in it. So I typed all the program from the screensaver without really understanding what's going on. But in the end, it worked and I had some nice graphics on the screen. So this was really, um, yeah, enjoyable. <laughs> hey, cool. And how, how old were you? So this must, you know, maybe 14, something like that. Yeah. Oh, so, so you are pretty old already. So Leo, you started as a senior, I would say. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. And um, and and why you did it? Um, well, oh, that's. Uh, I just, I guess, I just was curious about all the things you could do with the computer. And, and my father used to have one, so I was um, also looking into that a bit. So I guess I was just just curious. And at some point, I got a computer um, as a present by my grandparents, and this really was how I, okay. you know, got started with all that and just got the hang of it. And, and, and your dad uh, was a pro programmer? Oh no, no, this was more a hobby thing. Okay, but he could he could program or just played with no Winter Olympics. <laughs> program a little bit you would do you know back in the day people built like their own custom database uh, stuff to manage their books and these kinds of things so so i, I think that's what he did uh lots of uh of of my guests actually created some kind of database in the early days of computing. exactly yeah well, it used to be like a common thing right i, I mean actually i did one for my comic books <laughs> hey I, I i think this is also the way how larry ellison started you know <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Just <laughs> cool um uh yeah and then you liked it or not what was your path you know to the first application so you remember your first app you you built whatever it was 
Uh, yeah, so actually, so you mentioned the University of Dresden. That's actually where I was um, studying. Um, so this was where it all got a bit more serious back then. I used to work as a student, for, um, oh, how do you call it? As a working student, I guess, for AMD, Advanced Micro Devices. Um, so I was working there. I was helping them with all their web-based trainings. So if someone wanted to go into the clean room, they had to take this web-based training. So this was some, you know, of the first things more seriously I, w I was working on hey cool yeah and yeah, uh, definitely i mean this this was a was a great time so semiconductors so when you mentioned like those slicing of cpus um yeah it's all in super interesting area very fast paced so um definitely great if you have the chance to just have a you know peek into this industry it's super interesting so what you did on your eastern computer you created your first hello world then you had some break and then you started in university again Yeah, pretty much right. So I, 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 yeah, if you wanted to sum it up, so I had this computer in, uh, at Eastern Times, then I got a little bit disconnected, I guess. I started again with the uh, Pascal stuff uh -huh. when I was a teenager, and then finally I uh, went to university and you know, started with Java, and then was uh, became a bit more serious. Okay, so cool. So, uh, and your first language was basic on the Eastern one? Uh, to be honest, I don't know the programming language we used probably basic or something like that i guess so yeah okay um cool so in the university you did some amd stuff and pascal and and, mm -hmm. and, and then immediately java right so the, during the university we pretty much focused on java there was a little bit of prologue involved um but yeah most of the things was in java this stuff i did um, for amd this was um, php actually okay and uh and uh And at which version of Java was it? Oh, uh, oh wow! I mean, this all goes far back. I guess it was one, uh, yeah, one dot four, one dot five. So this was this is, in the time. this is actually okay. fairly new. So you yeah, for you, I know you started with like oh, dot something, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, I thought uh, you are uh, you started similar to me, you know. So this is like, but you start later. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, uh, maybe it was even 1.2. I, I think 1.2 uh, because so one one, thing, 5 was like around yeah. 2005, I think. So this was uh, way later. Yeah, yeah, then must must have been a bit a bit earlier. So one of the things I remember, we used to have this IDE um, Forte from, from um, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So this was the thing we used. And then actually this new thing came out, which was named Eclipse. So we all were very excited about that. Um, so yeah, this was pretty much the time that we started. Oh, okay, perfect. And you like Java? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's um, still after all these years, it hits like the sweet spot of being, you know, easy to get into. It's well readable. Um, I mean, sometimes you feel it might be a bit too verbose, but to be honest, I'm not so concerned about this. To me, it's more about making code understandable and There's tons of libraries. That's, for me, what's really important part. So we have a huge ecosystem of things we can reuse. We have, you know, APIs and specs but, but, and libraries but, for everything. But back then, if you, if you, you know, your first look at Java, you thought, is something special or just another programming language? Let, let, let's learn that and see what happens. So what was your attitude back then? I think probably more like that. It was like kind of a given in some courses okay. at university. So yeah, I don't think I spent too much time thinking, hey, should I use Java? Or should I use something okay. else? It was really like, so, was there. And then after university, so you spent some time at the university, wrote some applications because you had to. And what you, what right. you did after university? 
Right. So I went to a consultancy and actually I'm not sure whether you remember or probably don't remember we even met back then. So this must have been like in 2006 or seven because you were coming to our consultancy and you were doing a Java EE5 um, course like for three days or so. Yeah. So this was actually the first time we met a very long time ago. This is what I wanted to go with. So I, I remember this exactly. But the Oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, but the, the question is, when was it? Was it at the beginning of your career or was it uh, how, how, how long after university was it? This was pretty much um, at the beginning. So it must have been like in the first or second year after I left university because I worked at the, that consultancy for less than three years. So, um, yeah, it was very, very early in my career. Okay, pretty cool. Because what I remember is this was uh, a, uh, a team of uh, developers who really had fun. And the right. company was, I think, Zaxonia, right? Right, exactly. Zaxonia Systems. Yeah, Zaxonia right. Systems. And uh, I really had fun. And and what we did was the uh, it was the architecture certification training. Oh yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, remember you yeah, wanted right. to pass that. So right. and and what what I remember is that you you had also a colleague, and you had lots of fun. So we laughed a lot during the training. Oh yeah, definitely. And then you asked me, you know, uh, you had an invention, something with annotations, and I look at that and I say, okay, this looks actually interesting. And you ask me, can 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 I point whether I will link to your blog what I actually did? And then okay. you were, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. And then you were really happy because some traffic happened. <laughs> and I was oh, like, okay, yeah. but this was yeah, interesting, uh, you know, interesting invention you did. And okay. and then we met over and over again. And then you started to work with Red Hat. So this is what I remember exactly. And you and your yeah, colleague, wow, yeah. you, you were really passionate what you did. And, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and this is uh, this is why I remember this because you said you were really into the training to Java five, and and you had some invention. Yeah. You asked me, you know, what is my opinion oh, yeah. about? I forgot. This was like, was it the early uh, early versions of Dagger? Oh, uh, this could be. I mean, I definitely, I did a black post about Dagger. I was, um, uh, you know, I, I was very much interested in that. So maybe I've pointed you to that. So, I, I mean, it's really cool that you remember that. And apparently, even better than I do. Um, I didn't expect it because, I mean, you do tons of training. Right? So that's uh, very, very nice that you remember that. Um, I definitely, um, now you say it, it was for this uh, certificate and there were all those fancy Java EE patterns like the, I don't know, what, what the fast lane reader and all this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, this was very, very good. Cool stuff back in the day. Yeah, uh, and and uh, the background story was uh, your company in uh, for other reasons uh, they were into Spring back then, and yeah. and they wanted to see whether Java E is uh, is like productive or something like this, and they invited yeah. invited me for a test workshop, and the oh, developers okay. if they saw this how productive it is, I got hired like uh, for one year. Uh, okay. I, I mean, not one year, you know, training, but I, in the course of one year, I delivered lots of yeah. one or two day trainings yeah. and the developers didn't expect it something like this to say, this is incredible how productive it is. And, and keep in mind, this was Java E5, you know, this right. was the, 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 or the dinosaur version with where you sometimes you even had to write, you know, interfaces and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and they, they liked it a lot. So, and then I bumped into you as one of the last trainings because after this trainings, they got the idea you not know, to be certified as architect, whether I couldn't deliver some certification course, what I did. Um, this was yeah. the, the, the whole backstory. Ah, uh, yeah, I see, I see. Yeah, I mean, people were still burned by the old EGB, what was it, two stuff, right? And that was like super cumbersome. Java E5 made a 
good yeah. progress. So I think that's where it started to be interesting again. Because this is what I don't get, because the old EGB stuff, it is 2004. So it is 15 years old. I mean, yeah. you know, we can talk you know, the next 20 years about that, but it's just like it, is, it does not exist anymore. And exactly. uh, I mean, you know, we can also talk uh, about Genie, that uh, Genie right. or, or whatever, no, uh, something yeah, which yeah. Uh, or Java Spaces or whatever was right, interesting right. 20 years ago. Okay, exactly. perfect. So, uh, what was your uh, what were you, were your steps between you know the 2005 training we did after yeah. after this? So, what you did some projects or what you did? Then? Yeah. So I used to, to work uh, before I joined. Red Hat. I used to work at two other places. So um, one of them was Otto, the ah, big mm-hmm. um, um, e-commerce company, right? So I was um, working there on their backend systems for a while. And after that, I joined a logistics company, um, Kühne und Nagel. And ah, I was um, uh, working uh, yeah, as a software for them a while but then i already had began um, to contribute to um, bean validation and hibernate validator and yeah, at some point i had the chance to work full-time on this stuff and full-time on open source for red hat and then i didn't really you know think about it twice whether i should do this or not and i was really happy to make this move into open source yeah which uh seems like you are still happy and doing more and more interesting projects Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so uh, about the auto, they do some uh, Java E projects in auto, uh, reasonable ones. Yeah. And there is one guy I forgot his last name, Bastian. Big, uh, but I, I um, interviewed him already on um, okay on my blog, and they were yeah. really happy about uh, Java E and the lightweight stuff. Yeah. And uh, so it's also interesting that you were at, 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 at Otto as well. So Otto is like a small German Amazon, right? Something like this. Right? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And then lots of companies belong to them, which you might not realize, like Sportcheck um, oh. or um, Schwab or About You. All those companies are a part somehow of the Otto universe. So there's much more than just Otto D. Okay. It's a huge, huge you know, family of, of brands and companies. Okay. And what also I was surprised because uh, from the beginning you were really skilled with java so this was uh you know your annotation stuff we were always somehow uh this is my impression interested in type safe yeah. type safety java and what you can how you can absolutely, yeah, definitely. push the, the limits and yeah. still you like java e so this is why we're always curious because so sometimes people come to me say like, yeah java e is dead and no more interesting oh, yeah. and boring and whatever yeah. but uh yeah. I, w- what i see more and more actually very young developers are really excited about Java. And that's the question yeah. also to you. Why you like that? And and yeah, so why are you doing this? So you could do something yeah. else? But yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm not too much hung up whether should you go for a Spring application or a Java E application or maybe get something else. Um, you just use what you, you know, what does the job best for you, um, maybe where you have the skills. So if it comes to Java E or Jakarta E, I think it's, um, yeah, most of those APIs really make sense. There's JPA, which is obviously super useful. There's something for REST web services. There's Bean validation. Um, lots of other things there. I mean, there's CDI, which I think is a really um, well thought out and very, very well defined um, and powerful spec. Um, so yeah, it's just a powerful um, set of, of specs. You can do the job with it. And so yeah, that's, that's why I like it, I guess. So you're very pragmatic, actually. Oh uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, definitely, I won't fight uh, about these kinds of things, right? So, if someone would use a different stack and that's what makes them most productive, well, sure, go for it, right? Um, by all means, use what does the job best for you. 
Yeah, the problem I have in my projects is I get asked now what we should do. So if I t- tell them do whatever you like, this is not the answer they expect. Oh yeah. <laughs> so oh, this yeah. is I, yeah, sure. well, in your position. I, I this is this is uh, this yeah. is the the interesting part. Yeah, yeah. I could uh, actually advise do whatever, but. Uh, the, yeah. What I usually do is like you have already Java E servers, so right. I can exactly. show yeah, you what what you can do with that, and if you can show them what you can do with that right. in ten minutes, they they say we do this done. Right, and this is the short right. story why I spend all my time in Java E projects. But yeah. if I were how to call it uh, not consultant, rather than like a, a programmer for hire, I wouldn't care at all because if yeah, they yeah. could call me you know, like do Spring for us or whatever, then I would just do whatever they like. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is yeah, sure. interesting. Yeah. And I uh, think the one interesting thing is there's still lots of interesting initiatives happening, right? So I, I think you did a, a, a podcast with one of my colleagues in Quarkus, but um, I think this is like one of those interesting innovations where we are essentially, u- essentially using those APIs like CDI or like JPA and essentially they just get to the next level by being able to run them on something like Gravium. So um, I think that's also interesting that after all those years, there are still lots of innovation and, um, you know, space for making things even more productive and even better um, in ways which you maybe didn't perceive in a, a couple of years um, before. Yeah. Uh, I had a discussion uh, the other week about uh, what's modern and innovation actually means. Because um in 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 a project, someone asked me, "Can can we sh- can you show us something modern?" And I okay. say, "Okay, what what do you expect yeah. modern? <laughs> what, what does it mean to me? It should be like you know crazy, or should it right. be not usable or productive? <laughs> or, or, or because you know if you if you buy a car, if you someone I would like to have a modern car. What do you expect that this is self driving car or is it a car you know with Lots of power, yeah. very fast or very usable. So yeah. this, I don't like you know modern and innovation because um, if if you are in a professional project, uh, what 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 only counts is write software as fast as possible, exactly. And, yeah. and after delivery, it should be as simple as possible so everyone can understand what happens behind the scenes. And right. if you start uh, with yeah. innovation and modern, yeah, and you would apply, let's say, quantum computing to create, read, update, delete. It would be very modern, but no one will get it. What yeah, actually? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is. Uh, but yeah, um, I mean, that, yeah. that's not um, you know a virtue just by itself, right? So you want to apply this to an end. So uh, coming back to this native things again, I mean, this solves obviously a problem, right? So people in certain environments they just need but, to have this very fast startup and so on. So that's something where this helps, but you don't do it just for its own sake. But wait a second, because our audience doesn't even know what Quarkus is, so we have uh, explained a little bit. But uh, uh, yeah. b- going back to modern, so you will also consultants in several companies before Red Hat. And uh, my impression is that what happens in projects, developers would like to use something modern regardless whether it is, you know, usable and suitable. And this is the common pattern. They go to conference, no? see your stuff and say, hey, we need, you know, Debitium or whatever for our, you know, Hello World application. And then, uh, and and this is where it starts to begin to be crazy and absolutely unmaintainable. So this is what I wanted to say. So about um, innovation. So why I like Java E is um, you download a server, let's say Whitefly, Mm -hmm. and then you are done. So the setup is done. And this is actually what I do meanwhile is, 
I have a script yeah. which goes like curl download and unzip. Oh yeah, yeah. So I delete the old server and install a yeah. new server before I do anything because uh, there could be you know some cache issues or whatever. And I have fresh installation and it doesn't. The download yeah. is like 170 megs, the the biggest white fly, and yeah. uh, it is in seconds. And this unzip is even faster and is installed. So it's very convenient to me. And then yeah. the setup is done. So this right. is actually what I'm really excited about. Whatever I, I may need in my project is already there. So uh, no kidding, in one minute, I have the yeah, whole yeah, environment. Yeah. And this is, this is innovation to me. So it's like yeah. Rails back then, you know, you had one framework yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and everything was as a batteries included. So no, no, you know, fiddling around and dependencies, everything is set up. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, this is this is basically why like Java is period and all the APIs are usable. They could be of right. course better integrated, some uh, uh, yeah, less sure. redundancies between APIs. But I don't. Yeah. I mean, okay, it can be always improved. But uh, I would then I should contribute more and it could co uh, improve the. That this yeah. is actually the story, right? So and now um, and then strange things happens with you know micro profile, Pyara swarm right. and uh, and no Pyara micro and Whitefly swarm. And right. I actually, okay. I, yeah. yeah, and I never got <laughs> Whitefly Swarm. So actually, I look at the, you know, I look at the page, and this was like right size services, or what it actually means, mm -hmm. because all my services were, uh, they were never, never big, and the Whitefly Fool is actually not big and, and starts faster. Yeah. So what they are talking about? And I measured the performance differences, and there were not a lot, and I completely ignored Whitefly Swarm because for okay. me it was pointless, and uh, I, I, I actually even asked, you know. Uh, people behind what is actually the the use case of the whitefly swarm is this, would you like to kill whitefly or have different use cases or i i, I really don't get it and so I, I just ignored swarm and um, okay. and actually never saw it so so swarm in action in projects as well and then quarkus happened right so mm -hmm. and um i said okay this is interesting and quarkus has a couple of true killer features i would say and yeah. uh, and uh, this is something reasonable. A reasonable means I, I I could actually go to a client and explain why they should use Quarkus, which yeah. was for me not possible with uh, Swarm. Yeah. And um, for the audience, uh, so just quick explanation: what I, what Quarkus is is first it uh, it is I would say a capable Java Java subset of Java E runtime. Let's say eighty percent or seventy percent of Jakarta E plus micro profile. And mm -hmm. this is a subset for a good reason. We uh, talk about later. And the output of the Quarkus thing is a jar, which uh, which is uh, we we could call it a fetch jar, but it isn't. This is the the thing. This is an executable jar which you can launch. It's called mm -hmm. Runner. And uh, and now comes the thing which are excited, where I am excited about. The jar is smallish. Let's say uh, with everything included, about two hundred kilobytes, but it points to parts of Whitefly. So what it means is we have a lib folder with all the dependencies which you usually would need, and you have the business logic in one jar right. and, and dependencies yeah. in a lib folder. Yeah. And I, this, I, mean, I wouldn't say it points to things from Whitefly, but let's say it points to you know those dependencies you're using, like those frameworks, Hibernate and, and Rest Easy and so on. Right. Yeah, with Whitefly, I'm referring... Average. I'm referring, you to know, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. to 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 already proven stuff. Right. So it's yeah. not like Quarkus is not like you know attempt exactly. from scratch to rebuild everything. Right. No, no, it's... Yeah, and because um, what a second, two days ago I was asked uh, whether Quarkus uh, can be used in production. 
because and I say, uh, yeah, it actually uses proven technologies. What can happen, of course, there are some minor bugs. Uh, you know, always can happen, but it's not like yeah. Quarkus comes with own HTTP server, own ORM mapper. This is uh, it just points to existing technologies. So this is right. uh, in, uh, important. And the cool story is, and this is like true innovation after Java E, because in Java E you get the separation with deployment, right? So you have war, which is thin, yeah. it's just the business logic and the server. And if you are working with clouds, let's say Kubernetes or OpenShift and so forth, so you would push the base layer, the exactly, server, yeah. once every three months. So every new Whitefell release, you will yeah. push it to the Docker registry. And the cool story is the war is tiny, so right. pushing the war is very fast. And Absolutely. the same yeah, works yeah. with Quarkus. This is yeah, actually, you get that out of the box. It's like deployment model on steroids right. because on every Maven clean install, it only builds the business logic the base layer remains the same, and you can push the the uh, the lib to to the clouds, which is incredibly fast. So, this alone is one of the killer features. Why I think Quarkus is really interesting. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's many more things. To you know, that, right? this is the so, first killer feature. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I never got the hang of those fed jars. Um, yeah, as you say, it just doesn't really make sense if you have like layered container um, file systems. Yeah. So definitely splitting this up, I, um, yeah, yeah so it's, the, it's the way to go, right? I, I get, yeah, I get a lots of questions. People ask me about my opinion, fed jars or uber jars, and, yeah. and my 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 honest uh, answer is, I, I really don't know what's the idea behind because, um, let's say in Quarkus or let's Java is even more extreme. If you have a war with your business logic, the war will be tiny. So um, for right. Hello World, it's like 4K, and if you write more code, it will be probably 500K. But uh, one Mac business logic is, is I, I would say, this is a huge project already. And uh, and the server is larger, but it is immutable. It only changes every three months. Exactly. So you don't deploy this very often. I mean, you would deploy the stuff if you have a new version yeah. or new you use new dependencies, but otherwise you would just keep those those layers stable. That's also why I'm personally not super concerned about the total size of um, no. container images. Just, you know, focus on the size and the volatile images. Yeah, exactly. Uh, absolutely. And so, uh, I mean, it never made sense, uh, this, this jar, uh, the super jars, except except if uh, before Docker, but this is like, you know, six years ago. So yeah. if we would run the jars on bare metal, this is a different story. Right. Because because yeah. then you can, you know, copy one jar instead of one zip and yeah. unzip. Then I see the point. But, um, and, and and if you if you see the ratio, you know, even in Quarkus, I think if you build the full thing, the deployable would be like 20 megs or 30 megs, let's say. But still, if we build, you know, Hello World, we have 4K of changing logic, and uh, right. uh, comparing with 20 megs of uh, of immutable infrastructure and just building the whole immutable infrastructure over and over again doesn't make any logical sense to me. And exactly. uh, yeah. and therefore, I was also not interested, you know, in the Swarm. Swarm supported HoloJar back then, which was similar. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just packaging everything as a, a Whitefly Swarm or Pyra Micro, I, I n never got the idea except, you know, special cases like IoT devices and so forth, right? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, you, you could make this work um, similarly with uh, Thontail Swarm, but admittedly it was way more complex in terms of setup. So yeah, it just gets easier with, with this particular thing gets much easier with Quarkus for sure. And now comes the cool thing, because uh, uh, Quarkus knows all your dependencies 
in right. it can analyze them and build a native image and the native image is kick-ass so i would i just start like oh. in one milliseconds right and you get yeah. Yeah. you get uh, a specific if you like you get docker file with it and the docker file mm-hmm. uh within the docker file quarkus is built so this uh this binary is a linux binary and yeah. the the entire thing is like is 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 small but it is incredibly fast and the ram uh, consumption is tiny yeah it is exactly. like four or five <laughs> megs instead of 200 uh, 500 megs and um and this is where i see you know the point because if someone claims java is too heavyweight or cons- consumes more yeah. memory what they actually mean is java is too heavyweight because you cannot you know save a lot of ram with servers right because if you compare whitefly to hello world java which i did in java one you can save at most you know 100 meg or not is not impossible so whitefly consumes 40 megs ram empty so the uh, the, the full uh, whitefly full java 8 and uh, java if you start java hello world with a server socket w- without any yeah. dependencies like five six megs so if you if you if you if you d- compare the heap um, um usage you can say 40 max, which is, I mean, in project, if I go to project, yeah, yeah. say, look, we have 10 microservices. And if we use, you know, custom Java build and we will save 500 max, the management will tell you are crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. we, I will buy you uh, an ice or something, right? It's like, <laughs> I mean, this is completely crazy talk. But uh, yeah. what I see with um, Quarkus, this is orders of magnitude. Absolutely, and I mean so. There's, so you mentioned this uh, story around native images. That's that's true. But also, I mean, you also can run Quarkus applications just on Hotspot and the traditional Java virtual machine, right? And also there, it's um, definitely more efficient. So it uses less memory and starts up faster than if you compare it to, to earlier stacks. And this is and this is actually the one thing which I'm really most interested, or which I find most interesting and most innovative here is. So there's this idea of compile time boot right so many of those frameworks let's say hibernate orm or or rest easy they need to do lots of things when they start up so they need to find what are the entities of my application what are my annotated web service or rest endpoints and so on so there's lots of things which which actually which used to happen at application startups so at runtime and um well the idea here now is that all this happens just once at the build time so that's why it's called compile time boot right so this entity scanning and all those things they are done at build time and then essentially this information is baked into some data structure let's say so this means um the application doesn't have to do it when it starts up because all the information is already there this also happens um if you use a quarkus application on on um, hotspot so this is why i think it's it's both interesting if you go for the native approach which i mean gives you even less memory usage and so on but just staying on the jvm this already is like a huge huge improvement yeah and um and this is uh, actually interesting because uh, how Quarkus for worked, it comes with uh, own CDI implementation, which is a subset of the full implementation. But right. um, they, uh, Quarkus doesn't use reflection. So what, what happens is the whole dependency injection exactly, yeah. co- uh, happens on compile time, which has interesting implication because uh, usually EGBs are faster than CDI with injection because mm-hmm. uh, if you use uh, normal application servers, and you inject stuff, right? EGBs yeah. are pulled. So let's say we have five EGBs. They are created once, and 
the whole tree injection tree happens once, which is in Java very slow, also very slow. It's slow reflection is slow, and um, and then it's cached. But if you mm-hmm. would use request scoped CDI, you get the injection over and over again, oh, which yeah, is yeah. slower. But the cool story is it doesn't apply for Quarkus, because because everything is pre-compiled, it is always fast, regardless you know whether it happens yeah. once. I, I mean, there is a small you know probably not even measurable uh, penalty, but um, it uh, the, the pooling doesn't make a lot of sense on Quarkus because uh, dependency injection doesn't is is not based on reflection. Yeah, right. I mean, and, and also many classes just don't just don't have to be loaded anymore, right? So uh, let's say you are using some XML descriptor for configuring some framework, and in the Quarkus approach, this would happen once at compile time. So that's when the XML parser class that must be loaded and instantiated and so on. And then uh, this information is there, so it's added to the application. And then if the application starts up, well, we don't need the XML parser anymore because we already have, have this information in our data structures. And this means, especially for the native image, we don't even have to take this XML parser infrastructure into this image. We just can strip it, right? Because we know this is never going to be used at application runtime. And this is what I would call true innovation. Back to the definition. Absolutely. Be- yeah, Absolutely. Be- because I can use you know, my old programming model, which I used for 20 years, like CDI and ejection and whatever. Right. But behind the scenes, magic happens, and the whole stuff is leaner, faster, and more productive. And this would be innovation Absolutely. to me. What's does, which doesn't mean innovation for me is like, you know, back then what Hystrix did. I had to use, you know, strange... Uh, strange APIs to uh, to to invoke one method which was guarded by uh, by by a connection pool. So this was like strange programming model with a little bit uh, innovation. And uh, yeah. what what MicroProfile does with one annotation, I get both. You know, I get uh, the same uh, the same uh, functionality um, with nice programming model. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, coming to MicroProfile, there's lots of interesting things happening, obviously, there, right? So the config API is useful, I would say, um, but also there's, like, recently this reactive um, um, reactive messaging API, which is pretty interesting if you interact with something like Kafka. So, yeah, definitely there's lots of innovative things happening in MicroProfile, I would say. But uh, you mentioned now reactive. What's also interesting in reactive, they don't try to reinvent the wheel rather than create exactly. a provider for JDK 1.9 flow, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't reinvent it. That's always good. <laughs> yeah, but this is not what usually, if someone mentioned you know, modern innovation, this is somehow, you know, show us some nice APIs, some new APIs, and this yep. this is for me just, you know, do something new without a reason. Right, right, right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you were involved with Quarkus? You are, you are hacking no, for- not really. I, I just um, um, we had some talks about bean validation and the hybrid validator part of that. Um, and I, I mean, I used to work on that code base, code base for a long time, so I was um, t- discussing this a little bit how it could be done. But otherwise, no, I'm work- I'm focusing on uh, mostly on Debezium, which is the project I'm working on. Okay, uh, but uh, the uh, bin validator uh, extension is already available for Quarkus. Exactly right. So um, this um, is already there. It's part of the Quarkus stack, so you can just use bin validation. Um, pretty much, I mean, I mean, some of the things are not supported yet, but most of the things you can use um, as you would have used them before. What is not supported? You know that. Well, I was I was afraid you would ask. Uh, ah. so I, I I I'm not sure. I think XML config might, for instance, not work if you okay. are using the native mode. So everything is supported in the JVM mode. Okay. But some of these things are not like XML are not supported in the um, 
native code. What I did is, uh, you could you could probably suspect what what happened if I saw Quarkus. Uh, yeah. This week uh, I released Quarky. <laughs> and, oh yeah, I saw it. Yeah. And what Quarky <laughs> just is, I use it all the time. It's like uh, so. What I did with Quarkus, so I, I did a lot of proof of concepts for my clients. So I created a, a project, Quarkus project, and then had a script, mm-hmm. and the script did basically Maven Quarkus at extension. And minus mm-hmm. the extension, they had like 10 extensions which I always needed. And I said, this is just oh, okay. stupid. And what I did, I just yeah. created Quarkus once, then created a Maven archetype with all the extensions I oh, needed yeah. and mm-hmm. released this as archetype. So now I can just mm-hmm. say, you know, my archetype and it just creates the project with one health check, oh, yes. one ping yeah. and all the dependencies I need all the time. And this is, I would say, pretty sh- pretty similar to a Java e server. So I have bin validation. I have... I yeah. have all the microprofile stuff, of course. I have uh, transactions. Uh, I have, right. uh, yeah, just, uh, I mean, it is still a subset, but it's uh, good enough for me. As I actually, uh, sky's the limit. Well, I just noticed that the uh, or Hibernate ORM does not support uh, the native mode, right? So if you include uh, ORM Hibernate, it won't compile to native. Um no, this actually should work. It might there might be limitations around a specific database, but in general, this should actually okay. work with native. Because, uh, uh, if I include the ORM Hibernate uh, extension, it doesn't. So uh, then okay. I should find the bug. So uh, yeah, without if, if, you have, uh-huh. if you have like a specific stack trace, um, definitely find okay, the team is responsive and they will probably fix it in like one okay, day. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, um, so. Um, Pretty interesting. So uh, you seem, also seem to like Quarkus. I also like because... Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, so I do lots of demos around Debezium, right? And one of the use cases there is data exchange between microservices. So I need some micros, some example microservices. And um, yeah, I, I began to port them to Quarkus and, uh, you know, just to see how it actually feels because I also would like to gain experience. But also, yeah, it already helps me to... You know, if I do changes to those examples, um, then actually I'm, I'm much faster, much quicker because, well, the Quarkus has the, the development mode, for instance, which really is, I just change some parts of the code and then the application without restarting, it will just um, have this change live. So this is uh, yeah, a really cool thing even for me uh, to do. Yeah, and uh, one thing is lacking, but I wanted uh, to either build it or propose it, but it's already proposed in uh, April, so they are pretty, pretty, pretty fast. What right. I thought about this is uh, you could actually store uh, index files and uh, and CSS and JavaScript as static assets, and if uh-huh. uh, and if Quarkus will reload them, this would be actually great for web development as well. So I also do a, a, a web development, so I could you know yeah. use the uh, Quarkus as both backend and frontend server. And yeah. uh, but right now it doesn't recognize the changes if you change HTML, so it won't uh, reload. Okay. Uh, but okay. uh, yeah, but. Uh, yeah, but this, uh, but this is a minor thing, and they're already working on a solution. I saw that oh, Emmanuel okay. Benar contributed to the yeah. to the issues, and um, yeah, so right. yeah, that's, that's cool. it's hard to contribute because they are faster than you know than than the bugs. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, everybody you know in in the in the team and, and in our group is really excited about this stuff because it's just yeah. You know, if, if I mean, you have seen it yourself. If you try it out for the first time and to see how well the stuff works, maybe you have been a bit skeptical before, and then you are really wow. Okay, it's really like that productive. I change stuff. I have this dev mode. 
have this super small image size. So yeah, it's really exciting for, for all of us. And what's also interesting is, you know, the developer experience, because um, uh, if you start Quarkus, so it will suggest, you know, in the in the out terminal output what to do next. And if you list the extensions, yeah. you get the pointers to the guides. So it's uh, also right. well documented. So the it's, it's whole experience is really nice from the beginning. What yeah. is uh, not, you know, which is not uh, given in in a, such a such a young project? Yeah, that's that's right. But I think it's really in the very. I mean, so, uh, it's very experienced folks, right? You mentioned Emmanuel, who has been working on open source for many many years, and lots of people like him, and they are obviously very aware of the fact that you need to have blocks and exactly this kind of thing point people to the right next thing to do and stuff like that but it's just i mean otherwise i mean um, you will be just flooded by by people asking for help in your forums and and so on so really that's that's the way to do it yeah and um now um you also mentioned a project i actually forgot the name so you sent me this uh on twitter is this like architecture validation project oh yeah detective right <laughs> yeah um, yeah. So Deptective, it's that's like a small side project of mine. So it's not related to my work. It's something I do in the evenings. And the idea there is, so we have um, the um, the Java module system, right? So which helps us, if we are using it, with um, mm -hmm. organizing our code base and modules, and we can declare dependencies between them. So it, it gives us some structure. But then I felt I actually need some kind of architecture validation also on a lower level. So let's say I work on a library such as Hibernate Validator, which just essentially is a single module. And then still within this module, I have lots of packages, right? I might have 20 or 30 packages or something like that. And now the architecture within this module mostly is what is the depend what are the dependencies between those packages right so is there like a layering or whatever i had in mind when i set up those packages i i would have a model in mind which describes okay this package maybe you know rest may call persistence but not the other way around because then you would have some sort of circle or whatever so i figured it would be nice if you could enforce those dependencies amongst Java packages. And then the way Deptective is doing this is it hooks into the compiler and it enforces those rules um, at compile time. So essentially you define your intended package dependencies. So currently you're doing this in a JSON file, but it, I mean, that's just an implementation, implementation detail. It could be more, uh, you know, advanced like a DSL or something. But so you describe the intended package dependencies and then this detective um, compiler plugin, it will enforce those rules right at compilation. So this means if, for instance, your REST, sorry, your persistence package accesses the REST package and you didn't intend this, then you would have a compile error, right, at compilation time, right? And this is super, this gives you just a very fast turnaround time. I mean, so th there are tools which help you with that, but they all work reactive, um, or let's say um, in retrospective, right? So usually they run on some sort of um, Sonar server or CI server once daily because it's too slow to run it all the time. And then people just tend to ignore this because, well, there's this reporting happening somewhere and, um, you know, times get tough. They need to make, they need to meet a deadline. So the first thing they will ignore is this kind of um, architecture reporting, which they might not even care about. And, um, well, if this is part of the compilation and actually this happens very, very fast, so there's like um, not a noticeable overhead to this, then this, to me, the idea is just, this is a very natural and easy thing to do to keep, um, you know, your architecture uh, in a sane 
uh, form. So that's that's the idea of detective in a nutshell. Yeah, I took a look at that, and uh, the idea is really good. What I like is that it happens at compile time. And yeah. uh, what I apply on my projects uh, is, is like the boundary control entity pattern, an old right. pattern, which was reused from, I think, uh, Iva Jacobson or Grady Bush. Yeah. And uh, Iva Jacobson. And and uh, we I could ab- absolutely use, you know, your detective, for instance, to identify whether entities yeah. are accessing, for instance, the REST layer, right? As you said. Exactly, oh, right. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, the, that's the idea. And so, I, I mean, so, I've, so I was curious about this plugin, right? So this is a plugin of the Java C compiler. So it's yes. not part of the um, public um, Java API. It's part of Java C, but you could implement something similarly for Eclipse and its compiler pretty easily. And it's on the roadmap. Um, so I was curious about this API. So I wanted to learn about this. And this uh, was an, uh, how I started with that. And then I I figured, well, that's actually already useful for my own purposes. So I can use it, for instance, on you know another project I work on is Mapstruct. So I applied Deptective to Mapstruct to just see how does the um, architecture look like. And one actually one of the modes it supports, so there's this validation, which I described, but you also can visualize your existing dependencies. So then it just analyzes your source code and it can create an image using graph with um, which shows you your um, dependencies amongst your packages and for instance there i spotted a cycler um, a circular dependency between to, between two packages which um, of course I didn't really in, uh, intended to have there and the interesting thing is um, this was caused, so I looked um, what's what's happening there, what's causing this cycle there, and uh, it turned out this was an import statement which was on one of the classes, and the import statement, it just existed for the purposes of Java docs, right? So you can have imports to make like um, short names in your Java doc, and this was the only reason why this import was um, in this class, so I just could update the Java doc, just, you know, just describe the concept there without referencing the type, and I could break up the cycle, and and um, the, the only way I would find this kind of thing is really during compilation, because if you use other tools which work on the bytecode, imports don't exist at this level anymore, right? So you would not find out about this. So this was an interesting insight I, I just got um, by using Deptective, applying it to my code base and, um, you know, taking a look at this um, image of the existing dependencies. So what you learned from that is we shouldn't, you know, document too much with Javadoc, right? <laughs> Uh, yes, <laughs> definitely. I was, I was, asked, I was wondering. So, what's, what was this now? I mean, is this a good thing? Um, yeah, definitely. In this case, it was definitely too much, and it shouldn't have cost. It's cost just fun. But um, <laughs> what, um, what, you, what? Uh, I don't know what the detectives already do deliver. But what would interest me is the yeah. ratio. For instance, if I have two packages, let's say, um, bands and songs, two packages, uh-huh. and every package is like a small component with boundary control entity, yeah. you know, how often, for instance, uh, Ben's package interacts with song package, uh, package you know? Just oh, yeah. the number of references would be interesting right. to compute, you know, the ratio between cohesion yeah. and coupling. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. So this is actually something I added c- quite recently. So if you use this analysis mode to examine your existing code base, you um, so you see the numbers of those um, you know references amongst the packages. The idea being, um, if you have a cycle and you would break it up, and then probably if you have like you know two references, forth and back, and once the one of them is used like two times and the other one is used like 50 times, then probably the one which is used just two times is the one which you would look into to get rid of it, right? So that's the idea. So, so I, I would see, you know, the total 
number of interactions between two packages, right? Exactly right. So this is great. So I look at this, uh, I don't know, a few months or weeks ago, so it was not available, but if it's available now, um, I will uh, yeah. I will take a fresh look on this because this would be really useful in my projects. And now you mentioned cycles several times. Yeah. It's also interesting because uh, you spend lots of time in building the platform itself, like bin validation, debitium or whatever, right? Right, right. Right. And I spend my time in business projects. And in business projects, I don't care about cycles at all because my yes. bands and songs, they can cycle whatever they like because right. you get cycles anyway. Because let's yeah, say yeah. if we have two entities, you know, and uh, yeah. one entity from bands knows the song and song knows the band, we have already a cycle. Yeah, yeah. But this is important yeah. to mention because uh, what happens in some projects, so uh, let's say higher level architects, they come from like they have the oh, yeah. same thinking like you have from you know uh, platform uh, platform level, and then say, hey, look, bands and songs, they, yeah, there is a cycle. Then we fact, inside, have yeah. to factor out entities in a, in a different package. But if you yeah, do yeah. this, you cannot yeah. name the package because if you name the package, what you can do, you know, uh, entities underscore songs, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. And they they name yeah. it like model entity, and then everything goes south because yeah, yeah, yeah. no one can recognize what the application exactly. is actually doing. Yeah. No, no, I totally agree. So it's not that you should always get rid of any cycles. Uh, for me, it's just something to be uh, aware of and take a look. So does it make sense? Are those two things, maybe sh should they be in the same package because they actually belong together or is it not like that? So it's not you should um, avoid this at all times, in my opinion. It's more some of the things to, to, to just be aware of. That's what I think. Yeah, very good. So very good. And um, I would take a look. Then this is really useful. So if you also compute you know, the ratio or not the ratio, even just your own numbers. Yeah, just, just the number. I mean, take a look. And if something is missing, it's all open source, right? So um, yeah, sure. there have been people actually contributing to this already, which is cool. Um, so when I shared it on Twitter, there was actually quite a good interest on um, people. Yeah, were um, liking the idea and some people were adding some some things. But yeah, the more the merrier, right? And I mean, the one thing I'm really, so the, what I was skeptical about is so how performance is it right so this hooks into your compilation so you don't want to bog down your compilation time but for instance i applied it to hybrid validator also and this i think has like 800 classes so it's not a huge code base but it's not exactly small either and there didn't change compilation time in any noticeable manner so it was like eight seconds or so with or without detective so this is also something i found very encouraging so you just can apply this to your compilation by default and it's just running there and it gives you this um insight and your dependencies. Yeah. And uh, also, in your project like the Bisium, this is uh, somehow more likely, or it is more likely, then you will like, you know, to extract a package to a, a, uh, uh, a standalone uh, right. module or jar. Yeah. In a business project, what we do, this will never happen because we only have oh, yeah, wars, you know, wars, which yeah, is yeah, like yeah. a microservice and there are no jars in the wars. So yeah. there is a, there's absolutely pointless to try to, you know, to try to extract something because uh, yeah. no one cares about that. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point you're saying. That, so that's definitely one of the use cases. If you want to extract stuff, um, you could use Diptective to, first of all, see is it even possible or, you know, what are the places you need to look into so you make those two subcomponents you have in mind to make them be able to to be split up definitely uh on the on the quality note uh, i have another crazy idea which we should not reveal should keep private but um <laughs> you know jacoco Did you... oh yeah 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 what? The, the test coverage right yeah, yeah. and uh the test coverage is overused in in larger companies and uh just to get you know stupid statistics for unit tests but 
what I, what I thought about is, um, or what I actually do already is, I run Whitefly in Jakako mode, run my system tests, and then you know get the Jakako file and see the code coverage, excluding Whitefly, mm -hmm. and I see you know how much of the code was actually used I wrote, right? Yeah. Now, what uh, I think what would be a great idea to create a module or extension for Quarkus and then uh, um, automate everything that you can uh, launch, you know, the Quarkus if Jakako code coverage and then mm -hmm. run the system tests. And then even cooler would be to have a REST endpoint, you know, which, mm -hmm. uh, which outputs uh, actually which parts were not called at all, just packages or classes or whatever, or even oh, yeah, the, yeah. And if not that, then the raw, you know, uh, Jakako file, where you can include yeah. to your IDE, and then you can delete that code. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, I mean, you could suggest it um, and see what the team thinks about it. No, yeah, uh, I thought you know oh. you would say, "Hey, I have you no know, even more evening time. I will hack it next week." This was my expectation. <laughs> <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because you know the days are longer and longer. You are in Hamburg, so uh, oh, yeah, right. now you can hack until eleven. You know, and uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many things uh, going on, right? I was, I used to work on Mapstruct for a long time, which is a yeah code generator for for beam mapping code. Actually, I um, handed over this one to someone else because I mean I was not really that much motivate to work on it but also because i just you know it's lack of time and i wanted to focus on some other things so i mean you have to choose your battles okay and now in three minutes right. what is debitium debitium right okay so it's cool you ask about it um so this is a uh, very interesting project it's a platform or tool for change data capture so it means um you have your data sitting in a database such as mysql postgres and so on and now whenever something changes there like a new record is created new customers created or a purchase orders updated or you know something is deleted then debitium would detect this change by um, essentially tapping into the transaction log. So we would um, be aware of this change and we would produce an event which describes the change and you would send this event um, or this message to Apache Kafka. So you have, in Kafka, you have topics with those change events. And um, they, so they describe what has happening, like uh, has been happening, like for an update, what has been the old state of this um, row, what's the new state of this row. And then you can connect all, all kinds of... In um, existing consumers to use those events. So you could use it to, for instance, update your search index, right? So very often people use something like Solar or Elasticsearch to implement full text search for their um, Jakarta application or whatever application. So of course the data must be synchronized from the database to this search index. And so you could just use those um, um, change events in Debezium and then a connector for something like Elasticsearch to update the search index there. You could use it for um, updating or invalidating a cache. You mm -hmm. could use those events to propagate change events or data between microservices. So this is very talk. similar what Emmanuel did, you know, I think even five to ten years ago with Hibernate Search, GMS. It was also uh, similar. Yeah. Uh, but so, higher level. I mean, you go the, to the, the database. Use case, yeah, the use case was pretty it was similar, but this uh, so Hibernate Search, um, this really sits within the application yeah, itself, exactly. right? No, but the Whereas, use case, no. High level use yeah, case exactly. was similar. Okay. Exactly, right. And, and now the question um, to you, very important. Yeah. How you do this? Uh, do you have a hook to Postgres? Is it a trigger or what is it? Oh, yes. 
So, um, so it's not trigger based. It's really transparent to the application. And so the way it works is, yeah, pretty much all the database systems have some way or some API which allows us to connect to it and to be notified uh, about change events. So in case of Postgres, there's what's called logical decoding. Um, so essentially, we implement a plugin for this logical decoding API, and then this logical decoding plugin will send the changes to our Debezium connector, mm -hmm. and we can then interpret them. Because in Postgres, even with a standard JDBC driver, you can be notified uh Yeah, there's something like subscriptions, right? But yeah. um, I mean, so I mean, the interesting thing is that all this also works. For instance, if some of the components are not um, running, right? So maybe you're updating the Debezium connector, ah, okay. um, so then when it gets restarted, it will continue to read the log from the point where it has left off before. So it essentially, it remembers how far it has processed the log, and then if it gets restarted, it will just continue from there. There's um, things like snapshotting, right? So very often, if you start the connector. Um, your database has been running for a long time, so you don't have the transaction logs from earlier times. And still, you would like to have a consistent, complete set of the data, let's say, in the customer's table. And so the connector can do a snapshot for you, which essentially just takes all the existing records from this table, produces like an insert event for them, and then it goes to the streaming mode and captures the changes from the log. Mm -hmm. So... Uh... For me, so the killer features technically is like instead of polling the database, you find exactly. you find you know a way to hook into the database engine, which is very efficient, right. and right. you are receiving all the you know you, you are um, almost listening at the at the uh, how do you call it transactional log of the database, right? Exactly, that's that's really the, the transaction log is the source of this. It's mm -hmm. um, just we we don't directly read like the log files, but there's some APIs which. So then I would say Debitium is an adapter between the transactional log over the database in Kafka, right? Exactly. You could say it like that, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So now, uh, suggestion. Uh, we stop now and we mm -hmm. record another podcast just about streaming architectures, Kafka and Debitium, because there's a lot, lot yeah. of stuff. And Definitely. now, where people can find you on the internet, where can find your work, you know, your blog, which I saw is as high, uh, very frequently updated, right? This is the last was for 2013, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so right. My, uh, I, so actually, I got just one of those brand new dev domains. So I got uh, that one, and I'm planning to have a new blog there, uh, but it's it's not existing yet. So no, I mean you can find me on Twitter. So that's just my name, Gunnar Molling, on on Twitter. That's I guess the best place to stay in touch. Mm -hmm. I occasionally blog on the Hibernate team blog uh, um, in relation to like in dot. Mm -hmm relation dot two so um you can find some things there but yeah i'm, I'm planning to revive a personal blog so it's a bit more current than 2013 cool. and debitium <laughs> where to find debitium all right, right yeah debitium so that's all debitium.io uh, so this has all the information there we have um, user group chat rooms um so all the links are there we have a blog which discusses um, you know apl applying debitium for use cases like microservices and so on and um, all the source code is in github obviously so everything is open source um but really debezium.io is the starting point and detective detective um this is uh oh, oh yeah this is also on github so there's a github organization called modetect um so this is another module related tooling and detective is under that um organization modetect okay then thank you and back to work right all right thank you so much and looking forward to talking to you um, sometime soon Bye. Bye-bye.